Hello and welcome to this podcast, Raptor Rambles, brought to you by Raptor Aid, a UK-based charity that focuses on bird of prey conservation and education. I'll be your host, Jimmy Hill, founder of Raptor Aid, and I look forward to sharing lots of interesting things about the world of birds of prey with you. Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of Raptor Rambles. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you decided to come back and listen to another one, thank you very much. If this is your first one, welcome. Today's episode, I'm really pleased to introduce Sophie Lee Williams from the Eagle Reintroduction Wales project. She is the founder of the project and then also she's the the manager or the director. We were just talking about this before, what, what the correct title is, but we came to the conclusion it doesn't matter really. Sophie founded the project and she heads it up, she, she leads it. And uh, thank you to Sophie for joining because I know she does a lot of these talks at the moment, so hopefully this is a bit of a respite for her, because it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, you haven't got to do a presentation as such, Sophie, it's much more laid back, hopefully. So, so welcome. Anyway, Sophie, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me, Jimmy. It's quite a nice, um, informal approach, which is uh, something that I'm not used to, normally rearing for questions by now, so, <laughs> yeah. Well, don't worry. The, the questions. I'm going to start with the first question, which is always the always the same one for everyone who comes on the podcast, and that is for you to explain where it all started. Where where was the love of raptors or or, or wildlife in general leading up to raptors? Start from the beginning if you want, and then work your way right through. Well, I've always been um, a massive wildlife. Even even when I was you know could barely walk. You know, I thought my, my nan um, used to be a big inspiration when I was younger. So I live in a small mining town in South Wales and we've got amazing habitat. You know, we're, we're surrounded by mountains, really. So, you know, that's really where my playground was as a child. You know, I was up in, up in moorlands or, or the woodlands. So that's really where I started experiencing nature and wildlife. And then when I become a teenager, I just started to become infatuated by these birds of prey. I, I remember, you know, watching my first peregrine, you know, in the Day Valley Country Park and being up the Darren watching, you know, kestrels, red kites and buzzards. And that's really where I think my connection with birds of prey come from. And then, um, yeah, and then when I was a teenager, I started volunteering for an owl sanctuary. Um, so I used to work really closely with these birds. Um, had a very early understanding of, um, you know, the wildlife tra trade as well, very early on, um, which opened up my eyes. And then it just really fell into place. I started doing, you know, I'd done a degree in zoology and then it just started falling into place really that, you know, my passion with actual conservation, you can, you know, I started to feel like I could actually make a difference. And that's really where my, raptor research career kicked off you are as you've touched on you're in good country for for raptors in in south wales uh, obviously i'm in north wales so it's a little bit bit similar to to what you've got down there so would obviously when you went in to do the degree in zoology was it again was it with this idea that you wanted to focus on raptor biology if you want to title it that was that the idea when I first started my degree, I think it, well, it was about nine years ago now. So I've been 
been in Cardiff for nine years. They can't get rid of me, of course. <laughs> um, so I started my zoology degree about nine years ago. And of, of course, I, I, I was working with raptors really, you know, way before that. I've been working with raptors now for, for 12 years. So I, I really wanted to, you know, focus on raptors. <clears throat> but I was open-minded at that stage. Um, you know, I'd done some research with waterboards and stuff like this. It wasn't really until... Um, my, I'd done a personal training year um, in, in my undergraduate degree. And that's really then kind of I learned that, you know, what, what power you have. Because, you know, if you're really passionate about something um, and you've got the skills to design your own project, um, that's, that's what I started to do. I started to design projects um, within Cardiff that were wrapped to focus. And now we've got, you know, I mean, a couple of years on, about five or six years on we've got a very raptor focused research group now in Cardiff um so yeah I just started designing my own projects um because obviously Cardiff is um, have, have amazing projects you know international research but it wasn't all of the listings and the research wasn't really suited I really wanted to do something with with raptors so I just started designing my own studies um you know working with current collaborations and networks that I had um that I found you know from home really and ever since I yeah ever since from my undergrad degree I've designed my own projects and brought research to Cardiff. Fantastic so obviously the university were really supportive of, of what you, well that you're still there so they must be they haven't got rid of you so so that's obviously <laughs> a good start. Is there anyone I one of the things I also love about doing this podcast with different people is there anyone in particular that's really stood out for you? By all means, use this as a platform to thank them. Because I have, uh, as someone who spends a lot of time monitoring raptors, there's so many unsung heroes that I work with that have got a, a breadth of knowledge that I can only dream of maybe one day holding. So, yeah, is there anyone that's really been instrumental in, in what you've achieved? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, I I think so. You know, this is the reason why I'm sitting here today. You know, I think that everyone's got a personal story to tell. But, you know, from from a, from a very young age, you know, working with Malcolm Jones down in the Owl Sanctuary in Ebervale, you know, that's where my breadth of knowledge come from. And he really fed my passion, you know, and then working with the likes of Dr. Rob Thomas and Dr. Sarah Perkins at Cardiff University, you know, they've been you know, with me from, from an undergraduate, I remember walking into Rob Thomas's office, you know, and um, so they've been a big inspiration to me as well, because they've really, you know, like I said, fed into my passions as well, you know, and then I think um, it, I used to, I, I mean, since I've done the ERW project, um, you know, most of my, all, well, most of my fieldwork has been ERW related over the last couple of years, yeah. but, you know, I used to bird and my bird ringer, you know, was into rafters as well. So Jerry Lewis was, you know, um, a big inspiration for me when I was when I was younger. Um, and I think the turning point of my career was when when Roy Dennis came into my life uh, back in 2015. I don't, yeah, I don't think I've turned back since. I've just been eagle focused ever since I've met Roy. Um, you know, I, I remember going out. To, you know, I learned a lot from Roy um, in the field. And, you know, as a person as well, I remember going out and doing um, breeding surveys for ospreys and, and stuff like this and really learning a lot more about a species that we didn't really, we had ospreys in Wales, of course. So I'd, I'd seen an osprey, but to go up to Scotland and experience that full birds of prey presence was something yeah. 
uh, inspired me, you know, to come back home and actually work, you know, in Wales, you know, my home on trying to increase raptor conservation and um, really start conserving our birds of prey. So that's really, those are the main inspirations in my life, I think. I've only ever, I've only met Roy once. I'm actually, I'm, yeah, I, I wrote a blog the other week, actually. Uh, one of the highlights of lockdown for me was um, going up to Scotland. I'm good friends with Brian Etheridge, who we've had on this. Well, we had on one of our first lot of interviews. Uh, and so I went and did a load of ringing ospreys with Brian climbing and ringing. So, I, yeah, I experienced ospreys properly for the first time this year myself. And it was wonderful. And obviously that's, that's well, Roy's a member of the Highland Raptor Study Group as well. But funnily enough, and you can maybe give Roy a poke from me. I've emailed him twice now because I'd love to get him on the podcast. I'd love to get him on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The first time I emailed him, I really, I should have known better because it was right in the middle of the breeding. And, and I don't reckon Roy probably has a day off. You know, it's not like there's a there's a, no, not a season and an off season. I imagine Roy's busy all year round. Um, so, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't have emailed him then. And I've since sent him another one. So um, so I'd love to get I'd love well, to get mention him. I mention him. I'll mention it to him, Jimmy. I'll say that, you know, you're keen to speak to him next time yeah, I speak we- to him. Anyway, right. Okay, talking about eagles then, that's moving very nicely on to the Eagle Reinstruction Wales project. So start at the beginning with that then. How did it how did it we've sort of touched on how it probably came about right in your own project? But yeah, how uh, how did, who who was was it Roy's fault? There's always someone's fault. Someone came up with the idea and planted the seed. Whose was it? Um, well, it was my work. Up, so I worked up in um, for my master's degree. I was lucky enough to work <clears throat> with. Um, well, met, uh, Roy mentored me um, from 2015 to 2017, I think. Um, so I was working up in Scotland with satellite tagged golden eagles. So. My job really was to work on, you know, so young eagles use temporary settlement areas on average around seven, you know, in the in the first five years before they mature. Um, so, you know, when I was working in one of the biggest temporary settlement areas for young eagles in Scotland, we're going to, inc- you know, disclose that information. So I think I'll get into trouble. Yeah, so I was working in the middle of the Mondelian Mountains and um, and yeah, it was just amazing being out eight hours a day working with these eagles, you know, I, I was working with at least 48 satellite tagged birds, you know, and we were doing habitat characteristics to, you know, help us understand what these, why these birds were used in these locations. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a, you know, one of the most amazing projects I've ever been involved in, I've got to be honest. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself. But it was on the way home, really, you know, when it was coming to completion. And I was starting to think about the next steps in my career. And I I remember sitting in Roy Dennis's um, office and we were drinking a cup of coffee. And we were, you know, spouting out some ideas about maybe doing a PhD and and stuff like this. And then it just come, you know, it just coming up in conversation. What about assessing the feasibility of restoring eagles to Wales. First of all, it was just golden eagles, um, because obviously that's what we were focusing up in Scotland. Um, but then, you know, we realised, well, these species are quite 
quite similar in, in ways and they occupy different niches. So, so we thought, well, we could run feasibility studies for both species and see which one would be the, the better suited to release first and then what needs to be done. So yeah, so that's all that was needed to mention because as soon as oh, the nine hour journey in the car, I already had it in my head what I wanted to do. So yeah, I designed, um, when I come home in September, I think 2016, um, I was working up there for a full year. I come home, I designed, um, I designed a six year feasibility study, you know, everything that needed to be done. We were working with a blank canvas in Wales. When, it, when we started this project, you know, we had no raptor monitoring groups, so we had to, you know, look at birds of prey and stuff like this. So there's a lot of knowledge gaps that needed to be filled before we knew whether this was a viable option. So, yeah, I come home, designed the project. Um, I presented it to my team at Cardiff. Um, they thought, obviously, that they got rid of me at this point, but that wasn't the case. Um, I went um, I went away and worked for um, uh, uh, for Welsh Government as a statistician for a while because, you know, funding, you know, in conservation is just a nightmare, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. So we waited a full year, we secured funding um, from the Welsh Government's European Social Fund. Obviously, it was a PhD project, but it was run as a feasibility study from the start. You know, it was taken seriously from the start because we already had the networks there in place so um so yeah we launched the feasibility studies in 2017 and we finished the first phase of our research now in July uh, 2017 and it's been an amazing journey I've got to be honest fantastic so just um <clears throat> just before I forget just touch on you've obviously mentioned Cardiff University Roy Dennis has his own foundation the Roy, Roy Dennis uh, Wildlife Foundation. Um, are there any other partners? Who else has who else has supported? You've mentioned the funding from the Welsh uh, government and European yeah. initiatives. Um, so when we when we first launched the project, it was just Cardiff University and Roy Dennis that was involved. You know, um, they were the you know the research and and one of the you know most notorious con conservation well bird of prey conservationists in the UK. Yeah. Um, but then obviously you know it was one of the biggest um jobs for me was to try to raise awareness about this project and and to really you know scout out whether there was an interest here in Wales because you know this was just a new idea it wasn't a new idea you know reintroductions for eagles have been suggested for many many years in Wales um but you know there's not there was no action being taken there's a few groups that have done research but a bit outdated now um so I forgot your question, Jimmy. I'm just reeling off. I'm going off on a tangent no, it, it here. Was, it was partners. It was just basically to oh, mention partners. Who, who partners were, yeah. First of all, Cardiff and Roy Dennis. And then we started um, branching out a bit. Um, so we then had, um, you know, we started working with James Byrne, which is the living landscape manager, and Rachel Sharp, which is the CEO of the Wildlife Trust down in um, Cardiff, so the south southwest branch. So we we had yeah we had a really close um, you know collaboration. They then become the project um, company supervisor for the RW project. So we've been working quite closely with Wildlife Trust Wales, and then we just started branching out. Um, so we we started you know with my eagle work up in Scotland. We already knew quite a lot of eagle experts. Um, so then we just yeah from with research collaborations as well. You know. 
we started branching out. We've now got Lorcan O'Toole as, a, as an advisor. You know, he's he's massive inspiration to me. You know, he'd done this for Golden Eagles up in Ireland. You know, we've got Des Thompson and Kat Barlow from the South of Scotland, mm-hmm. Golden Eagle Project as well. And also, you know, we've got, um, we're doing light public engagement. Over the last three years, it hasn't been a key priority because we didn't know whether it was a viable option. From my um, falconry kind of experience when I was younger, you know, we've got eagles in Wales which fly on a daily basis. You know, for example, um, down in the British Bird of Prairie Centre down in, in Pembrokeshire, they've got both golden and white-tailed eagles. So I was keen to get them on board with the project. So we've got the Hawken Service Trust, the B- British Bird of Prairie Centre in the Botanical Gardens of Wales and Falconry Experience Wales as well, which are supporting our education side of things so yeah we've got a really good well-rounded team we we also went out to Norway last year um so as most of you are probably aware now that white-tailed eagles you know we're going to start with white-tailed eagles first I you know it, it's just inevitable these species are amazing and you know the Welsh landscape is it's just so suitable for them it's just a shame that they're missing here you know so we went out to Norway we were working with, you know, they're world's leading researchers and, and active conservationists. They've been involved in translocating eagles from Norway. Um, so we went out and met Duncan Halley, um, Togi and Igard, and Alvotta Alstedt. And um, yeah, they've now obviously become part of the RW team as well. So Brilliant. yeah, so we're quite excited. I get excited when I speak about this. these people are, um, you know, I, I'm really overwhelmed with the amount of support really you know that, that we've got and um yeah we're working with a well-rounded team that's fantastic no that's 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 fantastic so just co- go back over the three years what what did you obviously i i said I, you don't need to bring your presentation slides with me i told you that before but just touch on so what did you find <laughs> for the, f- the first three years the first phase what was what was the plan what and what did you achieve essentially so the main the main aim over the last two years has been to assess whether this is a viable option so can modern whales still hold both the golden and white-tailed eagle and like i said we were working with a blank canvas in Wales, so we knew for example that the history of eagles has been well studied you know across britain i mean derek yaldin and richard evans are two of the you know, the researchers that have done amazing research, you know, into the history of these birds. Yeah. But there was a big knowledge gap for whales, you know. We, they didn't have, I think there was only 25 records. And that was simply not enough to feed into a reintroduction programme, you know, because it's really evidence-based, these these licences. So we started with the historic, um, the historic side of things. We started collecting place names and archaeological records for whales. Um, you know, we looked at ornithological literature. I also visited a number of museums and had a look at, you know, specimens and, as well. And, you know, yeah. really got full for the history. And we found that they were actually quite a big part of our biodiversity, heritage and culture in Wales, which which was a surprise to me, you know, you know, because these, you know, I mean, I've ne- you know, these birds become extinct over 150 years ago. To know that they were such a big um you know um part of our biodiversity was i think was a big shock really you know how how yeah because they've been missing part of our biodiversity for years and years and years um so that was really the first starting point is to start filling in knowledge gaps 
So we started with history, you know, that went really well. That research now is published, of course. And then we started, you know, one of the biggest gaps, I think, for us was the fact that we haven't got a raptor monitoring group. Normally, you know, we would go to these raptor monitoring groups and say, right, can we have data? Because we need to know how current birds of prey are using the Welsh landscape in order to predict how eagles would use the landscape. So that was really our second, you know, focus point was to assess you know our current raptors and how they're using the landscape and um, that gave us a really good insight that they're doing really well here in Wales at, at the moment and yeah give us a, a few kind of ideas moving moving forward our attention then moved to you know well what about habitat what about prey um you know is there enough habitat here for eagles so yeah, so those were our main focus. So basically the first phases of any reintroduction programme, because it's, it's very interlinked approach, you know, you've got to start at the beginning and then work yeah. your way up. Over the last three years, we've focused on all of those elements. And last year, I think it was probably November time last, last year that we, we were so excited within Cardiff because all of our data gathered together, you know, we could confidently say that it's a viable option to restore these species. Yeah. I think that was a big milestone for RW because it took us three years to get there, but we now we know and we've gathered that evidence. Yeah, it's really promising to move forwards now. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. No, it's, I mean, it's fantastic to, to follow it. There's obviously, we've had COVID hit, and so I was going to talk about yes. the... <laughs> I don't know whether to talk about the implications of COVID now or whether to find out because they obviously impact what happens going forwards. So I suppose, yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me, talk about the impact of COVID and the effect that's had before you talk about the plan for the next uh, three years, would it be for the for the rest of the study? So, yeah, yeah how, how's COVID hindered things? Well, well, um, I'm surprised the same story as everybody else, but we've been... We've been significantly impacted by COVID. So last year, um, like I mentioned, we went to Norway. The, the main reason why we went to Norway, it was a big group of us, you know, the Wildlife Trust Wales um, come as well as um, some business corporate interests. And we had we had it in our in our in our head, you know, we were going out to source birds, a white seagulls, you know, build relationships. I mean, it was so exciting. If you go back, if you spoke to me this time last year, we, you know, and if, if it wasn't for COVID, you know, we would, I would be employed by the Wildlife Trust by now as Eagle Project Manager. You know, yeah. we would have had funding in order to just, you know, go straight into the next phase. Obviously, you know, when lockdown happened, we quickly realised that those options were not available. The funding completely diminished, yeah. just non-existent anymore. And obviously the job with the Wildlife Trust changed as well. Um, obviously because, you know, they've got, they didn't want to bring any other new projects when, yeah, you know, so many innovation initiatives have their own staff. To, so, so yeah, so I mean, it's impacted us massively, um, you know, because I'm now not in a job, the financial side as well. And and post-PhD, that's quite tricky to start up a new new conservation initiative. So now we're kind of back at square one slightly, trying to find ways of, you know, um, ways of keeping our heads above the water. I think like many, many other, you know, conservation initiatives at the minute. So obviously you've been <coughs> partly doing, part of the reason you've been doing lots of these talks, um, Facebook Lives and various 
Q and A's uh, is to fundraise. <coughs> excuse me for uh, yeah. So we. Oh, sorry, Jim. Yeah, we um, we launched a, a crowdfund um, back in October, I think. It was. Yeah, October time. And um, that was literally the the plan wasn't go to go for, with public money because obviously, you know, we've done so much hard work that we knew the government and conservation grants would cover the costs of this project. Um, but obviously those are not open anymore, you know, and they're not going to be open until April next year. Um, so... Yeah, it's just been it's just been really difficult, I think, for for us, um, you know, and I think the plan is now moving forward is, is to keep within Cardiff University at, at the moment and just keep ticking, you know, keep ticking with um, with our research. But the main focus moving forward and, and the reason why we've been doing all these talks is because we are now that we've got the research, we're ready to go into the public and stakeholder engagement phase. You know, now that we've done, you know, that research. Yeah, so it's not only to fundraise because our crowdfunds are closed, of course. We could only run it over a certain period of time. So thank you for everyone who um, who supported us, by the way. Um, we're really overwhelmed. You know, we didn't reach our target, but uh, we reached £7,260, which is an amazing amount of money in the current situation. That's now being put immediate use on a, on a research budget. The reason why we're doing all of these talks is because we're now trying to increase awareness across Wales that this is a viable option and then, you know, to start gauging people's attitudes about eagles coming to Wales. So that's a very nice one to, to, for me to roll into because uh, I've got written down on my pad just response from people question mark. So that, which is exactly obviously what the next phase is going to be. So what... What sort of response have you had so far from people? Have you managed to gauge from, from people? Now, what, I suppose you probably could split this up into the general public, but then you've also got specific interested parties, haven't you, in this? So, yeah, go about, elaborate on yes. that a bit. The general, the general sense, over the last few years, you know, we haven't shied away from engagement. We've been trying to be as transparent as possible. That's the way forward with these, you know, reintroduction programmes. But what we found, the general public um, are generally on board with the idea. You know, we, we haven't actually had much negativity at all um, with, with, you know, with our engagement so far. So the general public is, is generally for, <laughs> you know, for, the, for this reintroduction programme. When we've done work with um, stakeholders, it then becomes like, not slightly vexed, it's a vexed one. Um, so we've had meetings with NFU, for example, and um, this was back March last year, and they are happy with our slow and considered approach. Um, I think we've had a lot of respect of many, many stakeholders for our, you know, our research into this, because we're not just, you know, doing it off the cuff. This is not just a new idea. Um, and I think a lot of stakeholders appreciate that that the right research and efforts are going into that um so in general we've had a very positive response even from the likes of nrw and welsh government and and stakeholders like nfu which is it's a big one you know because we understand that that's probably going to be one of our biggest challenges here in wales you know it's one of the biggest land uses here in wales 75 percent of the welsh 
landscape is allocated to livestock pasture, you know, very different to England and very, very different to, to Scotland. So, you know, they, they need to be part of this journey and their voices need to be heard. And this is why I'm quite excited to go into the next phase um, is because then we are working with current concerns and addressing these these attitudes yeah and we and we kind of understand from farmers as well that they you know the general um concern um from farmers is whether they take healthy like you know we, these eagles predate on healthy uh viable lambs and obviously you know from research that's not the case they're not they don't bring significant damage to livestock um so we're hoping to work you know with these stakeholders with our research now and hope to inspire informed discussions, debate, and perhaps creative problem solving here in Wales, you know, um, and hoping that, you know, we can really put together a um, post-release monitoring scheme here in Wales that works for everybody and not just for us, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that aspect, so many aspects of this actually interest me, not just because I'm bird of prey mad but i'm fascinated i did a master's in anthrozoology so i'm fascinated by the human um aspect of the relationship between humans and birds of prey uh, but then i'm also the historical side of things that i've read on your research mm. is, is really interesting and just to touch on that you know for people listening uh, that includes things like and i learned this what going up to scotland as i'm sure you did when you went up there place names and and you know names that relate to e to eagles um you know that, that link back to hundreds of years where eagles once nested or eagle rock and, and stuff like that so so there's a yeah there's a whole aspect or there's a whole range of aspects to it that that are fascinated people need if you if this is the first time you've heard of ERW anyone listening to this you really need to go back and read um Sophie and her team's research because it's it's really interesting and um, a question one question that I always think crops up with with eagles and you mentioned it brief a little brief briefly is prey a lot of people you've just touched on the potential conflict that they that they have between say white-tailed eagles and, and lambs and, and um, is, is one example and I know that goes you know they have those issues up in Scotland that they have to deal with and mm -hmm. um, but I know people who maybe are not against the idea of releasing e the eagles but one of the, the the sort of things they will put up is well there's no food in Wales anymore for eagles there's no hare or grouse or, or what, what whatever um, they might class as eagle food what have you managed to find out about that in your research? We get that quite a lot. You know. um, it's different, of course, for golden and white-tailed seagulls. So let's start with white-tailed seagulls first. You know, there's there's no doubt that there's enough food sources for white-tailed seagulls. You know, there's you know they're mostly fish. Um, in the spring and summer, they mostly eat fish, um, seabirds, and water birds. You know, and we know that our Welsh coastlines are just rife with, you know, rich with seabirds and, and fish and, and waterbirds. So we know that for white-tailed seagulls is not, a, you know, there doesn't seem to be any concerns, especially from our research. And there's plenty of um, prey densities around for them. And that's particularly true for the winter periods as well, because white-tailed eagles shift their dietary requirements from spring to, to winter. In winter, you know, fish normally go to deeper waters, for example, so they're not present in their diet as much. 
seabirds often migrate. So um, they change their diet in winter to mostly um, rabbits and hares and, and carrion becomes a big part of their diet um, in winter as well. So we know the biological cycle of a white-tailed seagull, we don't seem to, you know, there wouldn't be any problems. But even with our research and, and the general concerns from, you know, um, the public and stakeholders for golden eagles in particular, um, is that there's not enough prey sources here in Wales for them. And the general census about that is, you know, from what I've gathered from um, speaking with, with multiple people um, over the last three years is that many, many people understand the diet of golden eagles up in Scotland. You know, they're, they're very well researched, so that's no surprise. And many people, you know, know that the staple diet of golden eagles up in Scotland are normally red grouse, mountain hares, deer, red deer, fawns, by the way, <laughs> for anybody who, they can't take a big deer. But yeah, so deer fawns. So the, um, that is the general census of, of people, you know, when it comes to golden eagle and diet. But actually, when you look into nest sites across Scotland um, for golden eagles, inland golden eagles, yeah, that you know, that's what their staple diet is, is, you know, the most um, abundant prey, which is red grouse, uh, mountain hares, you know, in inland. But then when, but most people forget that these golden eagles also inhabit lowland areas and, um, you know, coastlines and islands up in Scotland. And their diets are very, very different. And I was speaking about this with Heather from the Glasslin project the other day, whereas, you know, even nest pairs differ in their diet. You know, you can have one you know, one bird of prey nest with which has a very different diet compared. It's just the way that they adapt to their environment. And it's this case up in Scotland with golden eagles, you know, if they're more coastal species and they take the most abundant natural prey in that area, and most most of them, you know, for example, the Isle of Mull and um, the West Coast is rabbits and seabirds. You know, that that's one, you know, one or two of their main staple stable prey so when we kind of looked as well at the golden eagle diet across Europe it starts changing again and we started to realize and, and there's a paper by Philip Whitfield that states exactly the same there's no typical diet for golden eagles at all they are very generalist species and and they do take the most abundant prey in a given area um, so when we learned this, we, you know, I mean, I was concerned, you know, I worked with golden eagles um, up in Scotland and knew that those diet, you know, those prey items weren't here in Wales. Well, we do have the likes of rabbits, hares, pheasants, partridge, you know, seabirds as well, waterfowl, you know, um, ravens, corvids as well, and, um, and red foxes. So there are prey here for golden eagles in Wales. But then it comes down to our research, of course. So, and we've found out that these species, so what would be a staple part of the diet of golden eagles, there's more prey available in lowland areas of Wales than there are in upland habitats. And that didn't come to a surprise to me because I, I live in Aberdeen, um, a small, like I mentioned, a small mining town. And we're on the verge of the Brecon Beacons and, and 
one of the things I love the Brecon Beacons. One of the things that really disheartens me about the Brecon Beacons is the is the historic grazing that's happened there. You know, and 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 um, the fact that you can walk for hours and not actually find many rabbits or, or prey um, at all up there. So so our upland conditions in Wales, I think, need a bit of conservation focus before you know these birds um, are particularly golden eagles you know are brought back in because there is a there is a for, for my for my expertise you know there are fragmentary areas of Wales which can hold these birds and have sufficient food sources you know we do need to work on that to make it a long-term sustainable population that's it's a wonderful answer so because it just it just highlights how much you put how much thought you put into it so yeah i i did i asked that question on purpose because i know there's i know it's one that will get does get thrown about quite a lot oh there's no food here and you've just answered it absolutely perfectly so that was uh yeah that was brilliant so the project going forward then obviously you know the, the crowdfunding is there is there any way how can people is there any way people can still support you um financially if people want to make a donation for instance at the minute i'm working on creating a receivable account in cardiff so that'll be linked to the web page soon because i said we've we've got to stay within cardiff and create a position within cardiff at yeah. the minute um, we've just applied for um, a stipend extension for the Welsh Government's European Social Fund. So we're waiting for confirmation on that. It's all waiting for confirmation, Jimmy, really. Life is just waiting for confirmations at the minute. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, you know, at the at currently speaking, I'm not getting paid for, for doing this. It's just voluntary based at the minute when we're waiting. We're working hard on applying for funding packages and, and stuff like this. So there will be a donation button on our webpage soon. Um, so people can obviously help us, you know, and be part of our journey as well. And we're working on publishing research, our research that have been done over the last three years. Um, like I said, we want to be as transparent as possible. So we want to make that available. And then our next step is just try to get funding to launch into this public and stakeholder um, side of things, um, because that is one of the most along with the evidence that we've gathered for NRW and for the IUCN guidelines, that's one of the biggest parts of, of the evidence base is that you've got a general um, support base and you've kind of, you know, assessed attitudes, even if they're negative attitudes, you know, they, they, still, they still need to be addressed. So that's the next step is to uh, get funding to launch that phase. So all being all being well, fingers fingers and talons crossed, you get funding for that. <laughs> When's and and well, I don't want to. Who knows what's going to happen with the pandemic? But what what was what's the time scale for that? Is it was it supposed to be April or or obviously if if the funding comes in, what's the time scale for the for the? So we wait. We we should yeah. We we've got a so um we've applied for a few funding packages at the minute. Um, they're very small funding packages, not much available out there at the minute. So we, we should know by December whether we've got a permanent position within Cardiff or by the latest January. But we're really, you know, I my plans are to stick in, you know, to, to stick in with this until government funds are all open. 
because, yeah. you know, like I said, we've had a very promising experience with Welsh Government over the last couple of years. You know, there's a lot of keen interest within Welsh Government to, to bring back eagles. Um, so we're hoping that, you know, that there would be help there to bring these birds back. And especially that we've had the support from Welsh Government so far, that it looks very promising that we can continue that relationship, you know, to, to fund this amazing journey. You know, it'd be absolutely amazing to see these birds back. You know, for the timeline, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully know by January now um, whether we can launch into that phase. You know, we don't know how tricky it's going to be with the pandemic, whether we have to keep everything online um, like we're doing or whether, you know, we are able to go out and actually, you know, host consultation meetings. You know, I, I would like to do that because that, you know, is part of the experience. I mean, it would be a shame to do everything online. But um, so, yeah, so we're just hope, we're just sitting in tight at the minute and, and riding the pandemic wave like everybody else. But but just a little bit more stressed about about it, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you, yeah, don't 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 try not to lose too much sleep over it. You don't, you, the, the work that's going on already is fantastic. And yeah, I know I know there is a lot of a lot of support. Um, and I'm sure we'll share. I'll make sure that we, I'll put all your details on on this anyway, so people can, if people want to to get in touch, they 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 can do, and they can they can offer as much much support as going on. Now I have to ask you this. This is a bit of a cheeky question, really. Um, but it, it, which is your favourite then, white tailed or golden eagle? Which which is it? Oh, good question. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's a really difficult one. Um, probably. It's got to be golden eagles. I mean, I'm a moorland, you know, I'm a moorland girl. I am come from, I come from the moorland, you know, southwest. So I mean, yeah, it's got to be golden eagles. It's got to be. Yeah, golden eagles for me. When I, when I first went up to Scotland and and started monitoring golden eagles and uh, the the whole experience, even when it doesn't go right and it's a blip, you sat in a whiteout in February. And you've not seen anything. It's just an it's just an incredible experience. And so, yeah. Or even just going like you know going on a holiday to Mull is is just an experience. Yeah. So, so you don't yeah. have to be out there monitoring them. Um, but I, yeah, that's that's, uh, that's yeah. I'm I, got, I remember got... I remember seeing. I'm sorry. I remember seeing my first golden eagle. Um, it was with Roy Dennis. Um, and we were up in the middle of the Montanier Mountains and we, we visited a roost site. And we, yeah, we were, vi- we, he was teaching, he was teaching me about field signs, how, what to look out for to know if a roost site was being used regularly. And um, all of a sudden this, this, I, I just remember, I didn't know what to do. So um, it just come over the, the mountain and it was, it was quite low to the ground. And obviously, as soon as it's seen kind of us, it kind of started flying the other direction. But it was a really because it, it was a really good view of a golden eagle, probably the best view that I've ever had of a golden eagle. But did not know what to do. So part of me wanted to run to the car to get my camera. And then part of me just wanted to experience it. And I think Roy realized what I was trying to do. And he just said, just enjoy it when you can. He said, you don't get many of these experiences so just enjoy it when you can I remember just being head to toe you know with goosebumps it was just yeah. an exhilarating experience it was absolutely yeah, amazing they're, yeah they're in, they are they're incredible I remember one of my favorite memories is 
watching a, a Glen. Uh, I was at the head of the Glen watching it for uh, potentially an incubating bird. Um, mm. And then an eagle came over the back of me um, on the other on a bank on the other side and started hunting the bank. Um, but it was right in front of me. It, it must have been 500 metres max. And I was sat in yeah. the heaven with my little dog, thinking I better keep hold of you um, at the moment. <laughs> Um, but and what she was doing is she was swooping down, and I'd never seen this before. It was all new to me. As she was coming down onto the towards the heather, she was dropping her legs like she was trying to flush something out the heather. And I just sat there in absolute awe of this bird for five ten minutes. I think it went on for, and I was like, "Wow!" And I, like you say, I just floated off the hill that day. Uh, yeah, yeah it is. So they're special. So to see them in Wales would be well, it'd be. Mind, mind blowing, really, that, and and it would be all all down to to you and your hard work, hopefully. So that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that thing, fingers crossed, definitely fingers crossed. Well, good luck with the with the funding and the second phase. I always finish, Sophie. I'm just conscious of time. Okay. Um, I don't want to keep you all night. Uh, I always finish <laughs> with one question uh, that, that everyone gets the same question. And if you were to give one piece of advice to a young budding raptor biologist or conservationist that you've picked up over your time, what, what would it be? One, one, bit, one nugget of advice. Never give up on your dreams. Even if you're told no, that is, no is the best motivation. I've been told no so many times, but because if you have a passion over something, just follow your dreams because most of my careers come from just cheeky little emails to random you know to random people to branch out and that's the only reason why I'm sitting here today is because obviously you know and another thing with raptors as well is that if you can you know learn from somebody who has years and years of experience you know that it that passion to passion really works well so yeah, so never give up on your dreams and never take no as an answer, because I never did. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, I love it. I am, I love that cheeky little emails. That's what I do. Is that's what I do with this podcast. I'll just send cheeky little emails to like raptor experts that really wouldn't give me the time of day, and I end up speaking <laughs> to them, which is lovely. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, no, you're absolutely right, and and uh, well, it's working so far, Sophie. So keep up the good work. Okay, Fingers right. Crossed. Uh, yeah, I, I won't keep you for any any longer. Thank you so much for um, your time chatting to us about the Eagle Reintroduction Wales project and, and how well, it's thank going. Thank you for having me. Okay, <laughs> right. I'll, uh, I'll leave you in peace. Thanks, Sophie. Ooh. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Ooh. If you have, why not give us a subscribe so you don't miss out on the next episode. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the up-to-date news on what's going on with the world of Birds of Prey and Raptor Aid.